Hey, listen, over the last few weeks, we've been in a series of messages called Triggers. We've been talking about overcoming the things that set us off. We've talked about uh, people can set us off. Amen. And uh, sometimes it's money that can set us off. Sometimes it's stress. And, you know, those things can, can lead us to do things that we would not do under normal circumstances. We can, we can be triggered. There's just that certain kind of person in the office that that can trigger us and that certain situation can make us kind of go somewhere that we would not normally go. Today I want to talk about another trigger and that is the trigger of prayer because God wants us to turn to him in moments of great adversity and struggle. And so when we face difficulties, it should trigger in us a desire to pray. And we're going to look at one of the great psalms of the Bible to help us to understand that. Um, but God wants us to be triggered to pray. A lot of times when we have adversity that comes our way, we, we think about you know, reacting and responding or saying things or doing certain things. But how great would it be in our own life if we pause for a moment and talk to God every time that we were hurting and struggling? Psalm 17 really is a great text of Scripture. It, it outlines for us how we can talk to God in a moment of adversity. And the 17th Psalm was written by King David. He was the second king of Israel. He's a fascinating biblical character. Uh, he was known as the man after God's own heart. And one of the reasons that he was known um, for having such a heart for God is because he knew how to talk to God. If you want to be a person that really has a heart for God, you have to talk to him. Uh, but it wasn't because his life was easy. David grew up as a shepherd boy from a very modest family, and yet God chose him to become the successor of King Saul, the second king of Israel. Um, but he didn't come from an elite family. He wasn't super educated, but man, the hand of God was just on his life. When he was a young boy, he stepped onto the field of battle and took down Goliath the giant, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And after that, he began to rise in the military of King Saul. He became a great general to the point that people began to talk more about David than they did about the king. And King Saul got very jealous of David and, and eventually tried to take his own life. David flees as a fugitive. You know, his face is on the cartons of all the, all the little milk cartons, you know. His picture's up in the post office. He's a bad guy. He's a fugitive. He hadn't done anything wrong, but Saul wants to kill him. And he hides and he hides and he hides. And many people think that that's the context surrounding Psalm 17. Um, other biblical commentators have said that maybe that this psalm was written during a time when David's son Absalom tried to take the throne away from him. And David had to hide in obscurity as, just like he did when he was a boy um, when Saul was coming after him. But either way, we find that uh, the writer, King David, is writing out of his own despair, out of his own heartache, out of his, out of his own pain in his life. And uh, regardless of whether it was Absalom trying to take the throne or it was Saul trying to take his life, David knows what it is to be betrayed. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Have you ever been put down? Have you ever been oppressed? Have you ever been falsely accused? Have people ever said things about you that were not accurate and not fair? You're going to love Psalm 17 if that's the case. Would you open your Bibles today to look at this? 
Because God wants us to develop a reflex to pray. Now, uh, prayer reflexes come through adversity. They come through learning. Um, uh, I think that God wants us to have like almost like cat-like reflexes when we begin to pray. Trouble strikes, we are like the first thing we do is we talk to God. And I'm totally a cat guy. Do we, do we have any cat people in the house today? Okay, we got a few over here. Yeah, y'all are like the 49er fans. You're like, uh, yeah, we're like, yeah, well, a few. I love, now how about some dog people? Do we have some dog people? See, dog people are proud. People, dog people are like, you know, assertive. We love dogs. Dogs have a little more personality. They bark, they scream, they run around the house, all that. Cats like things very quiet. And if you disrupt a cat, a cat will run off and hide or, you know, maybe claw you or something like that. Cats are very independent. We have a cat, and I love to agitate our cat. I love our cat. I will walk into a room where, you know, the cat's like sitting and maybe sleeping and just go, ha! Ah! And, you know, what is the, what is the cat? What, it's those reflexes. He runs off, you know, bows up, scared, afraid. Cats have amazing reflexes. They really do. They can run quickly. They can claw. They can scratch. They can do so many things. They can jump. They can wiggle out of tight situations. Well, God wants us to have some cat-like reflexes, if you will, when it comes to adversity. He wants us to pray. And the way that we learn to pray is we have to go through some difficult times. Uh, maybe God is allowing you to go through some things in your life to teach you that you have to be dependent on him. And this was true in the heart of David. So with all that in mind, let's look at Psalm 17. Let's look at this. This is so good. Psalm 17, verse 1, Lord, hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen to my prayer from my lips free of deceit. Let my vindication come from you, for you see what is right. You have tested my heart. You have examined me at night. You have tried me and found nothing evil. I have determined that my mouth will not sin concerning what people do. By the words from your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps are on your path. My feet have not slipped. David begins by praying this, God, search my heart. God, search me. Search me. And he says, God, I haven't done anything wrong. Now, when you read this, it kind of sounds maybe like just a little arrogant. Like, come on, David. Like, you know, you haven't done anything wrong. I don't think David is saying that he's never sinned. He's just saying that in this particular situation that he has done nothing wrong. He's been accused. He's been falsely accused of something that he did not do. And he's saying, God, search me. Look at my motivations. Look at the words of my lips. Look at my actions. I, I have not done to others what they have done to me. Amen? Listen, you don't have to treat people the way that people sometimes treat you. You can rise above that. And David says, Lord, just search me. See if there's anything in me that's not right. Um, th David is using the language of a courtroom. His critics are bringing heavy accusation. He's a defendant who has been falsely accused. His enemies are prosecuting him in the court of public opinion. And he wants to be acquitted in the highest court of all. And that is the court of God. People are slandering him. People are challenging him. Uh, his adversaries are coming after him. 
His faith is challenged. His life is threatened. And yet in all that, he says, God, search my heart. What a great prayer. Listen, when people are accusing you, a great beginning. Lord, is there something in me that's not right? Lord, could I change something? Lord, is, have, have, have I caused this, this accusation? Have I done even something small? Oh, that's a scary prayer. Most people don't want to pray, God, show me what I've done wrong. Amen? I mean, most of the time it's like, Lord, please don't reveal to me, okay, all that I've done. Please, I don't really want to see what it is. But what's beautiful is when God does show us some things that are wrong in our life, we can make changes. Amen? That's good, isn't it? And, that's, and so we, we have a lot to gain and a lot to benefit from, from seeing kind of what he's saying about our own lives and in our own heart. And it lets us get our heart fully in tune with God and in accordance with his will. Um, but there's always a story behind the story. And David is going through this period probably with um, his son trying to take the throne or Saul trying to take him out. And uh, David's thinking, you know, Saul, I did nothing but serve you. I mean, I was your general. I was loyal to you. Your best friend was, was your son was my best friend, Jonathan. I mean, come on, man. Why are you, what have I done to, to dishonor you and, 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 and to displease you? But, but yet, at the same time, the accusations are coming. The rumor mill is being stirred. And he says, God, just search me. Here's a few questions to ask when adversity strikes us. Are we doing things that God has asked us to do? That's a good question. Are we being selfish? Um, it's not wrong to pray for ourselves, but our prayer should not be dripping with self-interest. Okay? David's saying, man, God just protect me. I think this is a, this is a great prayer right here. And, and David does not being selfish. But it's a great model for us, isn't it? Is there something we should make right? Are my priorities in order? We ought to just do a little self-evaluation when we go through some hard times. David says, God, I've thought about it. I have prayed about it. I have analyzed it. And the bad guys are coming. And there's no rationale. There's no reason. God, just search my heart. Search my heart. In verse 5, he, he, he kind of wraps up this little section and he says this. My steps are, are on your path. My feet have not slipped. It's almost like David is saying, God, you have held my hand like a child holding on to the hand of a parent or a grandparent. David knew his need, and he knew that he needed the Lord to hold on to him. And we ought to pray that when we go through adversity. God, hold my hand. Don't let me lose my mind. Don't let me lose my faith. Don't let me slip off of the path. God, hold on to me. He transitions and he begins to, to pray not just that God would search him, but that God would hear him. Look at verse 6. Um, I call you. I call you, God, because you will answer me. Listen closely to me and hear what I say. Display the wonders of your faithful love, Savior of all who seek refuge. From those who rebel against your right hand. I mean, I love this phrase here in verse 6. He says, I call, I call on you because you will answer me. In other words, God is the one who answers prayer. When we call on God, we have the assurance that God is listening. 
I remember when I was in high school, there was a girl that I liked a lot. I used to call her to, I wanted to ask her out on a date, and she would never call me back. You know? How many of you know that's kind of discouraging, right? And I lost interest, you know? I was like, I'm going to at least ask somebody on a date that will talk to me at least, you know? Somebody who will take the call. When you know that somebody will talk to you, and and furthermore, somebody who is eager to talk to you, it makes you want to call more often, does it not? David's saying, man, listen, Lord, I love to pray because I know that you are always ready to take my call. You you don't send me to voicemail. You 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 don't screen the call. Lord, you pick up the phone. You answer. When I call, you answer. Gene and I's parents are both retired, and um, they love to they love to, to 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 take our calls. You know, I think when you get retired, sometimes you don't have as much to do. And when we call, man, they are always eager to speak. Always. When the grandkids call, oh my goodness, it's like the world has come to a screeching halt until that phone call is over. It's it's an awesome thing. And so it's fun to call because, because you know that the person that you're calling wants to talk to you. Um, can I just encourage you today? When you call on the Lord, God is so excited to hear from you. I mean, God is so enthusiastic that you begin to pray. And as a result of that, he, he wants to answer. He wants to, he wants to respond. He wants to get back in touch with you. He, he wants to keep that conversation that's going. I called to you, and because you will answer me. I called to you, God, because you will answer. And that should make us more confident in our prayer life. Not less confident, more confident, because we know that God wants to hear from us. God's excited to hear what we have to say. Well, what's going on today? Talk to me. Tell me what's happening. Now, if we pray... And we don't feel like that God answers, we ought to check the connection. How many of us have prayed about some things before and you maybe thought, maybe God is not listening, you know? Maybe God's not home. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, probably most of us, yeah, at some time or another. And, and so we ought to check the connection. Check the connection. Um, a few months ago, the phone lines went out here at the church. We had no phone service for, for like almost a whole day. And it was the weirdest thing. We went and checked all the phones, and they were all dead. Well, the phones are cooked into the Internet now, okay? Today, that's, that's the way that all the phone systems go, I guess. And so, as a result, we, we, the Internet went down. We didn't have phone connection. So we had to check the connection and get it fixed, and then we could make the call again. Sometimes when we talk to God, we have a faulty connection. And if we can fix the connection, we can increase the dynamic of our prayer life. So here's a few things we can think about today when it, when it comes to checking the connection. Psalm 66.3 tells us if we regard iniquity in our heart, that God will not hear us. In other words, if our life is marked by sin, unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin, it, it begins to cloud the conversation. It begins to dilute our effectiveness. So maybe there's some things in our heart that we need to get turned over to the Lord some changes that we need to make in our life. And as a result, it would begin to enhance our prayer life. In fact, in 1 Peter, um, Peter the apostle said that if a man is unkind to his wife, it will actually hinder his prayers. In other words, there's kind of like this connection between the way we live 
and, and how effective we are in communication with God. So we got to look at our own heart and say, okay, maybe there's some changes I need to make. Um, sometimes it's just being persistent. I mean, you know, Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. If you really want something in your life, sometimes you've got to keep talking to God. And, and, and we sometimes ask God for something one or two times and they get frustrated if it doesn't work out the way that we thought that it should have. But persistence is powerful when it comes to prayer. Stay on the mark. Praying in the will of God is also another thing. Maybe you're praying about something and, and, and the answer is, is no, um, but you think that God's not answered just because you haven't heard yes yet. But God has a will. And the more that our life gets in alignment with the will of God, the more powerful and profound our prayer life will be. David knew this, and this is why he said, God, I want to ask for your protection. I want to ask you to bless me and watch over me. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their requests, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, if we want to have a dynamic prayer life, we got to get our life straight with God. So he says, search me. He says, God, hear me. And then he says, protect me. Protect me. The largest section of this psalm is in the following verses. He, he begins in verse 8 by saying, protect me as the pupil of your eye. Hide me in the shadows of your wings. And the pupil of your eye, that's what the Christian Standard Bible says. But I love the NIV. The NIV says, um, protect me as the apple of your eye. And the apple of your eye is your pupil. So you could translate it either way. But I love that concept of the apple of your eye because it says that you are fiercely the focus of God's attention. You are the focus of God's attention, which means that God is thinking about you. The apple of someone's eye is where their focus is. It's what they love. It's what they cherish. It's what they enjoy. And here David is saying, protect me as the apple of your eye. God, I'm significant. I'm, I am valuable to you. I matter. I know that you deeply care for me, Lord. So protect me as the apple of your eye. And then he goes on. He says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. I mean, it's just like God, this image of like the mother bird wrapping her arms, her wings around those little chicks for protection and safety. And uh, they provide safety and nurture and closeness. Shield me and protect me like that. That's what, that's what mama birds do. And, and that's what parents do. Parents are in the, the business of protecting children. Is that right? I, I remember when um, our kids were very small, you know, one, two years old. When kids go mobile, that's dangerous, isn't it? And... And I wanted to put both my kids on leashes because they would just run everywhere. I mean, in a parking lot, at the mall, you know, it was like a track meet. You know, they're just running through everywhere. You have to, you have to grab them. You got to leash them up, man. They'll, they'll run off. You got to protect them. You got to watch over them. If kids get a little bit bigger. You still have to kind of guide and direct them. Sometimes kids aren't paying attention. Um, a few years ago, though, we lived on a busy street and... Um, 
Zane fell and he skinned his knee and, and um, his sister, Bryn, ran in the house and said, Mom, you need to come check on Zane. He's hurt his knee and he, he's laying in the street, you know? And so Gina ran outside and he had on like a dark t-shirt and dark pair of shorts and he was just laying spread eagle in the middle of the street. And really, it wasn't because his knee was hurt that bad. He was just, you know, he did skin his knee, but he was just taking a break. And Gina ran out there, and boy, she lit, she lit him up. I mean, you know, come on. We don't lay in the middle of the street. That's the danger zone, right? Well, I skinned my knee, Mom. Yeah, there's a lot of cars coming through here that aren't looking. And she, she swooped in and protected him and, and, and watched over him and, helped him get out of the street. Well, I kind of think in a spiritual sense, that's the way that God protects us. When we're doing silly things, when we're kind of off feeling sorry for ourselves, when we're kind of going our own direction, God puts his wings around us to, to protect us. You may feel exposed today. You may feel vulnerable, but know this, that God wants to protect you. You're not alone. Did you know that God can protect you more than anybody else in all the world? I mean, God can protect you even more than yourself. He's amazing. He's, David says, God, I need your protection. I can't do this anymore. Lord, I need some help. Wrap those, wrap those wings around me, Lord. Wrap them around me. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You see, big prayers always start with big problems. Big problems. Maybe you came to church today thinking about your big problems. Big problems. Big problems are an opportunity for big prayers. Maybe God's just letting you go through some things today to show you how much you need God. How much you're dependent on Him. How much you're reliant on Him. We don't really see our need for God when everything's going well. We think we kind of got it. The bottom falls out. Sometimes we run to him. But you know what? That's where we should have been in the first place. We should have been with him from the very beginning. He says in verse 9, From the wicked who treat me violently, my deadly enemies who surrounded me. I mean, people are coming after him. People want to hurt David. This is not just being cute. In verse 10, they are uncaring. Their mouths speak arrogantly. Um, the NIV says they, they close their callous hearts. Um, I love the King James Version. It says they have fat hearts. You know, when you want to really criticize somebody next time, just say, you have a really fat heart. See how that works. It just means you're callous, you're insensitive, you're, you're arrogant, you're, you're uncaring. And these are the oppressors of David. They have these fat hearts, man. They got... These uncaring mouths, they speak with arrogance. Verse 11, he says, they advance against me. Now they surround me. They are determined to throw me to the ground. I mean, there's an urgency that's there. Listen, God answers some prayer requests slowly. But listen, you can talk to God when you have an urgent need. Sometimes things cannot wait. David says, God, I need some intervention like now. <laughs> Like, immediately, Lord, don't delay, don't wait. They're coming for me. 
verse 12, he says, uh, they are like a lion eager to tear, like a young lion lurking in ambush. I mean, people are waiting to take David down. They're watching his every move. They're going to manipulate everything that he says and does. They're going to misinterpret every move that he makes. They are lying and waiting for that perfect moment to pounce on him. This week, I, I saw a video of this big cat in Africa that had crawled up in this tree three stories high. And when a gazelle walked underneath the tree, the big cat dropped three stories and took out the prey. It was unbelievable. I mean, you would not think to look that high up in the tree. But that sinister lion was waiting and waiting and waiting. And he had a big payoff when, when dinner rolled up under the tree. You would think he would have broken every bone in his body when he jumped out of that tree, but he didn't. That, that, that's the imagery that David is using to describe his enemies. He, he, he's saying, listen, they are eager to tear like a young lion lurking in ambush. God protect me. God protect me. Rise up, Lord. Confront them. Bring him down with your sword. Save me from the wicked. David doesn't pray that he would destroy his enemies. He prays that God would destroy his enemies. Now, there's been a few times in my life I've prayed, Lord, give me the strength to take out all the bad guys. But, but I think the prayer of David is more noble. God, if I took him out, I would be prideful. I would enjoy it too much. Lord, Lord, would you just take out the enemy? Would you silence the critics? Would you protect me during this time of accusation? God, would you do what you can do? I'm tired of fighting my own battles. Does anybody here ever just get tired fighting your own battles? Just get weary in the battle. Man, ask God to fight on your behalf. God can protect you. God can watch over you. God can provide for you more than anybody else. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is King Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah. The three, the three rival nations around him have ganged up against him. I mean, this is not just one, one opponent. This is like three, three countries. They're coming for him. Jehoshaphat's outnumbered. He's outmanned. There's nothing he can do. And the army brings the report, hey, they're coming for us. It's going to be bad. Jehoshaphat goes to the Lord. God, what do we need to do? And this is the response here in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Now, what an odd thing for the Lord to say, be still. I mean, you're going to go out on the battlefield, and you're going to just be still, and I'm going to take care of it. When we are stressed, many times we get hyperactive. We start doing more stuff. God says, just be, be still. In fact, if you read the story, part of the stillness is they sent out the worship team. They sent out a choir before the armies of the Lord. 
So the band begins to play, and all the enemies are scattered, and they turn on each other, and the nation of Judah is vindicated. It's an amazing story. It was a victory that only God could take credit for. Nobody else could say they did anything. I don't know about you, but if I go into a battle, I don't think that I would want to have the worship team with me. I mean, skinny jeans, man buns, Bible verse tattoos, whatever it may be. Not the first guys I'm going to pick. But the worshipers went before him. Listen, when you're overwhelmed, sometimes the greatest thing you can do is be still and worship and let God act and let God protect you. And let God take care of you. And let him watch over you. And stand still. And let God's protection take care of you. Finally, he says, satisfy me. This is a a really interesting end to this great psalm. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you think, you know, I know where this is going, right? I know this is going to all wrap up and here's the end and all this. David goes a whole other direction. Look at this in verse 15. He says this, but I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. David starts to talk about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the presence of God. Earlier, he's talking about take out the bad guys. Now he's talking about something that's far different. There's a physical deliverance. There's also a spiritual deliverance. And the spiritual deliverance is to be in the presence of the Lord. In fact, uh, another scripture tells us to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And David looks forward to the time he's going to spend eternity with God. He's like, I'm going to be satisfied. There's nothing more satisfying than being in the presence of God. It's eternity with him. It's, It's heaven. It's life eternal. And there's a confidence and a certainty in these words. And while he's praying, he begins to say, God, you know what, man? I need some deliverance today, but really, I'm looking forward to eternity. Let's don't let our problems take our eyes off of the end game, eternity with God. Let's see the big picture. Let's don't let our adversaries take our eyes off of Jesus because he has gone to prepare a place For us, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome place. Let's look forward to it. Let's anticipate it. And let's realize that when we leave this earth, we have an awesome place to go in Christ. So let's let people, money, and stress drive us to pray, to trigger prayer in our own lives. And let's see what God will do. Would you bow with me for a moment?